How many people are going to lose coverage under this? New I can't answer that question. I can. The CBO can. Those are your voters, Speaker Ryan. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR Public Reality Radio. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com as the East Coast prepares for a late-season blizzard. And out here in the West, we swelter from the heat. Other than that, everything is swell. Hey, remember back in September of 2015 when uh, Donald Trump said, quote, everybody's got to be covered. I'm going to take care of everybody. He was talking, of course, about his uh, plan, his intention, his hope of repealing and replacing the disastrous Obamacare, as he called it over and over again. Of course, that was just after he decided to run for office back in 2015. Um, in uh, in early 2016, he said th- about his new plan that didn't exist at the time. He said the new plan is good. It's going to be inexpensive. It's going to be much better for the people at the bottom, people that don't have any money. That was February of 2016. A day or so later, he said, you're going to end up with great health care for a fraction of the price, and that's going to take place immediately, he said, under his new plan for health care. Of course, that was back in 2016. Uh, You know, he he was running for uh, office at the time, and candidates have a tendency to say, you know, anything they need to say to get elected. But how about this year? Just before being uh, sworn into office, uh, Donald Trump promised on January 15, quote, we're going to have insurance for everybody. And then after he was sworn in, January 25, he said, we're going to come up with a new plan that's going to be better health care for more people at a lesser cost. That grammar is his, not mine. Uh, Well, they came out with their plan. The Republicans came out with their plan last week, which uh, Donald Trump variously described as a wonderful new health care plan. He said it's going to be beautiful. That, of course, before the Congressional Budget Office came out with their estimates for how much the plan would actually cost and more to the point, 
how many people would gain. That could happen. He said everybody's going to be covered. How many people could gain coverage under that plan? How many people would lose coverage under that plan? Well, as we go to air today, uh, Desi Doyen, hi. <laughs> Just so you know, we're throwing uh-huh. everything out again, as I usual. Know. We're restructuring everything. Um, because the CBO plan has just come out, not the CBO plan, the uh, CBO scoring of the bill. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office has just come out with their scoring for the bill. Uh, and I'm literally uh, just printing it out as we go to air. Uh, so we'll get to some of those numbers in a moment. But over the weekend... You know, as if Donald Trump's promises weren't enough. We, You know, we told you last week uh, that Brookings Institution had come out with uh, their report based on data from the nonpartisan CBO, uh, based on their previous scoring of Republican plans to repeal Obamacare. And they said that 15 million people would likely lose their health coverage under the Republican repeal plan. At least 15 uh, million, according to Brookings Institution. And we also reported last week how, uh, as there's a bonus, not only would uh, millions of people enjoying Medicaid right now lose their coverage, but that the Republican Obamacare repeal plan also cut into Medicare funding as well. So you have all of that to look forward to just from what we already knew. And then Tom Price the uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, he went on the televisions on Sunday and, uh, and said, no, all of those estimates are totally wrong. Nobody will be worse off financially under the Republican bill to, afford, to repeal the Affordable Care Act. He dismissed all of these reports that millions would lose coverage if, in fact, the Republican plan passed. This system seems to essentially say to folks under 35, don't worry about it. If you don't want to get health care, no. we're not going to make you do it. And that only increases premiums for folks, for older folks, does it not? No. What, what, what we do is actually uh, say to that uh, 30, 35-year-old individual, uh, you know that you need health coverage. What we're going to do is provide a system that allows you an array of choices so that you can respond and choose the, the, the coverage plan that works best for you and your family, not be dictated to by the federal government and, and have to purchase something that you most likely do not need. That's how you get folks back in the system. You provide a product that is something that they want, not something that they don't want. And this don't is a great it. opportunity to look at the, yes. the failures of the current system and say, how do we fix that in a way that puts patients at the center mm-hmm. of all of this and not government? You, you, of course, you don't need it. You don't need health insurance when you don't need health care. So this notion that, uh, oh, people who, who don't need it don't have to buy it is, of course, ridiculous. Keep going. In five years, Dr. Price, define success. What is success? Give me the number of people covered, and the cost uh, uh, of when it uh, in effect with, when it comes to percentage of income. Yeah, it, it, tough to put numbers on it, but success, it, it's an important to, to mm-hmm. uh, look at that. And it means more people covered than are covered right now and at, a, at an average cost that is less. And I believe we can firmly do that with the plan that we've laid out there. Remember, it's not just this bill that's in Congress right now. It's a, it's a look at the regulatory apparatus that's been put in place over the past eight years by the previous administration that has made it more difficult for folks to practice mm-hmm. medicine, mm-hmm. more difficult for folks to care for patients, driving up costs. And then it's an array of options from a legislative 
standpoint that actually reform the insurance uh, uh, coverage system so that you can purchase across state lines, you can pool together, again, driving down costs, making it so that you've got an accessible, affordable right. quality and choices plan. Okay, so that was Secretary of Health and Human Services uh, uh, Chief uh, Tom Price on Sunday on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd, promising that more people will be covered than are covered right now and at an average cost that is less. That, of course, goes against all of the estimates from all of the people, from all of the professionals who have come out with their estimates. Uh, and, uh, you know, and by the way, it seems like he forgot to tell Paul Ryan, Speaker of the U.S. House, about this notion that more people would be covered for less. Here was Paul Ryan uh, on uh, what was this on uh, with um, Face this the Nation? This was on Face of the Nation. Face the Nation uh, with, with John Dickerson on Sunday saying that, uh, you know, he can't he can't estimate. He can't tell you how many people might lose their uh, their coverage if uh, the Affordable Care Act is repealed. But but that's really that's not the point. How many people are going to lose coverage under this? new? I can't answer that question. It's up to people. Here's the premise of your question. Are you going to stop mandating people buy health insurance? People are going to do what they want to do with their lives because we believe in individual freedom in this country. So the question is, are we providing a system where people have access to health insurance if they choose to do so? And the answer is yes. Access to health care if they choose to do so. Yep. And they're, what they're talking about is access to health insurance, right. not actual health coverage. And if they don't have the money to inf uh, to afford that health insurance... Well, that's uh, yeah, their I choice. Mean, I guess, that's their choice to not have that money. Well, now we know exactly uh, what at least the Congressional Budget Office, which Republicans have been busy disparaging for the past week in advance of this uh, scoring. They pushed, this, they pushed their plan through committee without bothering to wait for the CBO to come back with their... With with their estimates. Now we have those estimates just uh, just out before we go to air here. Uh, a couple of uh, key points. The CBO and the uh, JCT, the Joint Committee on Taxation, estimate that in 2018, that's next year, isn't it? 2018, 14 million more people would be uninsured under the legislation than under the current law. 14 million people will uh, will lose their insurance will not have insurance that otherwise would have insurance next year alone from this Republican bill if in fact Obamacare is repealed and replaced with the Republicans American Health Care Act the CBO says most of that increase would stem from repealing the penalties associated with the individual mandate under Obamacare some of those people would choose not to have uh, insurance because they chose to be covered by insurance under current law only to avoid paying the penalties and some people would forego insurance in response to higher premiums. So part of that supports what uh, Paul Ryan says people will choose to uh, not do it because there's no mandate. 14 million people. Later, they write, following the additional changes to subsidies for insurance purchased in the uh, individual market and to the Medicaid program, uh, the increase in the number of uninsured people relative to the number under current law would rise to 21 million in uh, the year 2020. So by 2020, we would now be looking at 21 million people who would otherwise have coverage if we did not repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. 21 million Americans. And then that number rises to 24 million Americans by 2026. 
The CBO writes that the reductions in insurance coverage between 2018 and 2026 would stem in large part from changes in Medicaid enrollment because some states would discontinue their expansion of eligibility that was put in place under the Affordable Care Act. Some states would have expanded eligibility in the future, would choose not to do so, and per-enrollee spending in the program would be capped. So even if they continued the Medicaid expansion, uh, the spending there would be capped. So people would start to, they'd be able to cover fewer and fewer, and fewer people, fewer and fewer services. In 2026, the CBO writes, an estimated 52 million people would be uninsured in the United States, compared with 28 million people who would lack coverage that year under the existing law. So twice as many people would be lacking insurance uh, in 2026 under the Republican law than under Obamacare. If Obamacare was not changed at all. That's right. The effect on uh, premiums, they write, uh, the legislation would tend to increase average premiums in the uh, in the exchange, uh, the individual market prior to 2020. And then it would lower average average premiums thereafter relative to production uh, prote- projections under the current law in 2018 and 2019. According to the estimate, average premiums for single policyholders would be 15 percent to 20 percent higher than under current law. Although average premiums would increase prior to 2020, they would then de- start decreasing uh, in, uh, in 2020, according to the estimate, uh, based on the uh, tax credits and so forth that Republicans would put out uh, under their version of the law. Under the legislation, insur- insurers would be allowed to generally charge five times more for older enrollees than for younger ones rather than the three times more they're currently allowed under current law, uh, and that would substantially reduce premiums uh, for young adults and substantially raise premium prices for older people. But that would reduce the average across all of them. Uh, Correct. But sure, it's easy to... But it can uh, be confusing when they say, oh, it'll it'll drop the average cost of a premium because they're averaging in the way lower cost for younger people with the way higher cost for older people that will be eventually coming through if this law passes as They're also averaging in the fact that uh, tens of millions of people won't uh, be able to afford premiums at all. There you go. See? The ways in uh, there are they note the uncertainties, and this is what the Republicans have been hitting on for the past week uh, preemptively concerning the CBO. Uh, But they note that the ways in which uh, federal agencies, states, insurers, employers, individual doctors, hospitals and others and other affected parties would respond to the changes made by the legislation are difficult to predict, they admit. So the estimates in this report are uncertain. However, the CBO and the JCT, Joint Committee on Taxation, have endeavored to develop estimates that are in the middle of the distribution of potential outcomes. So it could be worse. That's right. So we're talking 14 million people would be uninsured next year that would otherwise be covered. 24 million people uh, would be uninsured uh, who would otherwise be covered by 2026. And that's the that's the media. That's the the the, the middle uh, uh, estimate. It could be way, way higher. It could also be way lower. True. Uh, so instead of, you know, 24 million, maybe it's only, only 15 million uh, Americans who would otherwise have uh, real access to health care. 
so that's what we're just learning. Uh, the overall effect, and now this is going to be hard for the uh, Republicans to beat up on the CBO report too much because the report also says that uh, the Republican plan will save $337 billion, yes, billion dollars, over the next 10 years. And so for uh, you know conservatives out there saying that this is uh, going to be too costly, we can't. Well, hey, this is going to save them three hundred and thirty seven billion if you believe the CBO, which, as it turns out, the White House in response says it does not. They say they uh, what's the word here. They disagree strenuously with the CBO estimate. I haven't had time to find out which part of it they uh, disagree with. Presumably, they disagree with the millions losing health care. As opposed to the three hundred and thirty seven billion that would be saved uh, in in federal spending. But uh, they need to pay attention. They need to pay close attention because uh, once again, we've got a report. We we reported um, uh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, the Trump voters areas of the country where Trump uh, did the best would be the uh, areas of the country that would be hit hardest by this Republican uh, scheme. And uh, that was confirmed once again here over the weekend in a number of different reports. And so these hard right Freedom uh, Freedom Caucus members who are opposing this bill but now being uh, rallied by the Trump administration to change their thinking, those Freedom Caucus members may want to be very careful because some of them uh, from the safest Donald Trump districts are also the districts that are going to be hit the hardest under the Republican plan. This was confirmed again over the weekend in a number of different reports. Uh, This one from the L.A. Times. Americans who swept President Trump to victory, lower income, older voters in conservative rural parts of the country, they stand to lose the most in federal health care aid under a Republican plan to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. That, according to the L.A. Times analysis of county voting and tax credit data. Among those hit the hardest under the current House bill are 60-year-olds with annual incomes of $30,000, particularly in rural areas where health care costs are much higher and Obamacare subsidies therefore, therefore are greater. Obamacare actually gives higher subsidies uh, to, to areas where the costs of health care are more expensive. The Republican plan does not do that. It just basically across the board, based on age, gives X number of dollars. That's it. The Times reports that in nearly 1,500 counties nationwide, uh, a person with an annual income of $30,000 stands to lose more than $6,000 a year in federal insurance subsidies. 90% of those counties backed Donald Trump, according to this analysis. 68 of the 70 counties where, the, where these consumers would suffer the largest losses supported Donald Trump in November. Most affected by the Republican health care plan would be parts of Alaska. Hello, Alaska, Arizona, uh, Nebraska, Tennessee, Oklahoma, where Obamacare insurance subsidies have been crucial in making up for high priced insurance uh, five. Uh, all five states uh, went for Trump. Also hit would be key swing states that back Trump, like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Michigan. 
Uh, also, it would affect older, low-income residents in some parts here of California, up in uh, the northern uh, part of the state, which went for Donald Trump, even out here in California. They could see substan- substantial losses as well, according to the data. Meanwhile, higher income and younger Americans, many of whom live in urban areas won by uh, Democrat Hillary Clinton, they stand to gain more assistance in the Republican legislation. So everything's kind of backwards here. Faring best, of course, according to the L.A. Times, would be the nation's wealthiest residents. They could see substantial tax cuts with the elimination under the House uh, GOP bill. Uh, those making more than 200,000 individuals making more than 200,000 couples making more than 250,000. They were included in Obamacare with some taxes, those taxes to, you know, to offset uh, lower income Americans, those taxes would be wiped out by this new scheme. The uh, disproportionate impact of the House Republican plan threatens to undercut one of Trump's core promises, that he would replace Obamacare with a plan that would take care of all Americans. The story goes on to quote uh, John Thompson, a 59-year-old man, an evangelical Christian from North Carolina. He says, people don't realize that all it takes is one lost job and your goose is cooked. Thompson said he voted Republican for three decades. He was let go from his job, however, in 2013, and he found the only way to get health coverage was through Obamacare, whose insurance marketplaces opened in 2014. He said it literally saved my life. He goes on to say people like me are going to get screwed. He was talking about the Republican health care plan. That's just the reality. That is the reality. Um, not just from the CBO, but from all of these different reports, all finding the same thing. In Alaska, where the nation's highest insurance uh, costs are, because it's so spread out, a 60-year-old resident with a $30,000 income qualified uh, under Obamacare for some $21,000 in federal aid to get health insurance. That would be gone. $21,000. You listening up there in Alaska? A health care plan from uh, uh, B- Premira Blue Cross Blue Shield that would normally cost a 60-year-old shopper in Anchorage $1,800 a month costs just $113 after the Obamacare subsidies. And yet Alaska went in a huge way for Donald Trump. Whose failure is that? Whose failure is that? In 27 Nebraska counties, all of which backed Donald Trump, a 60-year-old shopper with a $30,000 income would see financial aid drop by $12,950 a year. So maybe they didn't notice it while Donald Trump was running uh, for office, um, but I guess they'll notice it once it's gone. Maybe. Who knows? By the way, that, of course, is the uh, liberal Los Angeles Times, so we don't uh, believe a word they say. They're actually owned by the very right-wing conservative Chicago Tribune. But Wall Street Journal had a similar report. I don't have time to get to it. i got to get to my guest. Uh, Maybe we'll do this tomorrow. But Wall Street Journal also found that um, rural areas would be hardest hit, those who supported Donald Trump the most. And also the American Medical Association has come straight out of the box by saying the drop in coverage is, quote, unacceptable. Oh, what do those doctors know about health care? 
in any event, more, uh, no doubt, uh, in the days ahead as we make sense of the CBO report. Uh, and of course, you know, the battle over repealing and replacing Obamacare, at least that's getting a fair amount of uh, decent mainstream mainstream coverage now. It didn't before the election. It is now. But receiving far less attention, unfortunately, is what seems to be going on at our federal agencies, where hundreds, if not thousands of positions are not currently filled. Uh, And uh, most of them, in most cases, Donald Trump has yet to even name people to fill those roles, much less see them go through the Senate confirmation process. So who is actually running the federal government these days? That story is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Staying on duty here along the Watchtower. I'm Brad Friedman. Uh, Donald Trump's chief strategist, one Stephen K. Bannon, recently said that the Trump administration will lead a, quote, deconstruction of the administrative state. Whatever that means. Uh, As details from Trump's proposed budget proposal, a huge expansion for military spending and huge cuts to just about everything else, as those details leak out, we are starting to get a better and better idea of what that uh, deconstruction of the administrative state may practically mean for the U.S. government and the American public. Today, Washington Post's Damian Paletta reports that we are about to see, quote, a historic contraction of the federal workforce. He writes President Trump's proposed uh, budget proposal, uh, as expected to be formally announced this week, would shake the federal government to its core if enacted, culling back numerous programs and expediting a historic contraction of the federal workforce. This would be the first time the government has executed cuts of this magnitude and all at once since the drawdown following World War II. Economists and budget analysts have said the spending budget that Trump is set to release Thursday will offer the clearest snapshot of his vision for the size and role of government. Aides say that the president sees a new Washington emerging from the budget process, one that prioritizes the military and homeland security while slashing many other areas, including housing, foreign assistance, environmental protection programs, public broadcasting and research. Simply put, the Washington Post reports government would be smaller and less involved in regulating life in America with private companies and states playing a much bigger role. Unfortunately, we have no alternative but to reinvest in our military and make our make ourselves a military power once again. 
says Trump's National Economic Council director Gary Cohn on Fox News Sunday. We have no alternative but to reinvest in our military, make ourselves a military power once again. I I thought we were kind of powerful. Uh, Robert Reichauer, a former director of the Congressional Budget Office, said that uh, these cuts are not the kind that you can accommodate by tightening the belt one notch, by shaving a little bit off a program or by downsizing a few staff here or there. These are cuts that would require a wholesale triage of a vast array of federal activities. But, of course, any such slashes to the agency budgets and federal workforces uh, will need to be approved by the U.S. Congress. And many such cuts would directly affect a lot of Republican districts and constituents. Some Republicans have already bristled at the calls for draconian cuts coming out of the White House. And, of course, as we noted last week on this program when we were discussing the proposed cuts to the IRS, a lot of these cuts will also cost the U.S. a lot of money in various ways, something you'd think that folks who call themselves conservatives might actually give a damn about. It's also worth keeping in mind as this process moves forward and as the Trump administration and Republicans lie to the American people about it, that the federal workforce is currently about the same size it was 20 years ago, even though the population has greatly increased since then. And uh, and that uh, also following the last budget fight between Republicans in the White House under Barack Obama, federal spending was already cut across the board by about 10 percent in both military and domestic spending. So there's a long way to go before we know for certain what services and agencies and personnel are ultimately going to be slashed. But in the meantime, the federal agencies that uh, that are up and running are still barely staffed up almost two months since Inauguration Day. And the Trump administration has yet to uh, even bother to nominate staffers and key officials for hundreds and hundreds of jobs. Many of these positions would require Senate confirmation hearings. Nonetheless, as an investigative uh, report from ProPublica documented last week, non-confirmed Trump appointees temporarily named as so-called beachhead staffers at federal agencies across the government meant to smooth the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. Those folks are calling many of the shots now during this transition period. Few know their names. Many of them have never worked in government before. And perhaps most disturbing, a huge number of them are actually industry lobbyists for the industry's that the federal agencies they are now working at are supposed to be overseeing. As ProPublica's Justin Elliott, Derek Kravitz, and Al Shaw uh, documented last week, a Trump campaign aide who argues that Democrats committed ethnic cleansing in a plot to liquidate the white working class, a pair of healthcare industry lobbyists, a lobbyist for uh, defense contractors, a lobbyist for a company with close ties to intelligence agencies and a New Hampshire Trump supporter who has only recently graduated from high school are just some of the people that the Trump administration has hired for positions across the federal government, according to documents received by ProPublica through public records requests. That's how they had to find out about this. They write that while President Trump has not moved to fill many jobs that require Senate confirmation, he has quietly installed hundreds of officials to serve as his eyes and ears at every major federal agency, from the Pentagon to the Department of Interior. Last week, ProPublica 
published a list of some 400 hires providing the most complete accounting so far of who Trump has brought into the federal government, including obscure campaign staffers, contributors to Breitbart, and others who have embraced conspiracy theories, staffers from the right-wing Heritage Foundation, and other lobbying organizations, as well as dozens of Washington insiders who could reasonably be characterized as part of the swamp that Trump had pledged to drain. The list is striking, they write, for how many former lobbyists it contains. They found at least 36, and that number is likely a lowball, they, uh, they, they report. Uh, these lobbyists span industries from health insurance and pharmaceuticals to construction, energy and finance. Many of them lobbied in the same areas that are regulated by the agencies they have now joined. Joining us now to help us understand what all of this means and doesn't is Jeff Hauser. He's the executive director of the Revolving Door Project at the nonprofit Center for Economic and Policy Research. Prior to that, Jeff uh, directed outreach for the AFL-CIO on political and economic policy and immigration reform. Oh, I suspect he's a busy guy right now. Jeff Hauser, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, all right, before we delve into what we should take from the uh, ProPublica report here, what what is the Revolving Door Project at the Center for Economic and Policy Research? Uh, it's an effort to make sure that the people who work in the executive branch have the public interest in mind, and they're not self-interested. Um, in the past, those sort of issues have been, they almost feel a little quaint right now, but in 2015 and 2016, I was looking into questions of uh, Obama appointees who were a little too close to the industries that they were um, supposed to be regulating and looking into uh, Clinton personnel the prospective uh, cabinet in waiting for uh, Secretary Clinton. Uh, that research uh, is much less relevant in 2017, and the level of separation between uh, industry and the government has gone from a thin veneer of separation to no separation whatsoever. Uh, and as the ProPublica piece shows, Basically, industry is in charge of deregulating itself right now. Which is very troubling, and I want to get into some of the details about that. But before we move to Donald Trump, uh, you mentioned Obama. He did allow uh, a few more lobbyists to sl slip into the administration than he had promised while well, as a candidate. But he did make reforms to who could and couldn't work in the administration and, and, and who they could and couldn't work for after leaving office, correct? Yes. Um, the situation got a lot better under Obama, and a lot of the problems under Obama were less about people with obvious conflicts of interest in a direct sense, i.e., like people whose ongoing business interests were uh, relevant to how they were working in government, and more sort of cultural uh, more hiring people who um, were going to likely, you know, come out of a white shoe law firm uh, past and were likely to return to that sort of law firm and protecting corporations. So nothing that was sort of uh, a violation in terms of lobbying or direct uh, conflicts of interest, but more kind of cultural soft corruption. Uh, 
Trump is bringing in an era where there is some soft corruption, but there's also a lot of just hard, direct corruption that's uh, much worse. No, so reversing the progress under Obama yeah. and making it much worse. Well, no doubt. Did did he actually formally roll back the, uh, the, the lobbying reforms that Obama had put in place, or is he just doing it uh, de facto by way of who he's uh, appointing and who he isn't? And, and you know, he also promised to, uh, lobbying reform to so-called drain the swamp uh, presumably, as as many people were gullible enough to believe, I guess, draining, uh, you know, D.C. of the insiders pulling the strings for so many years. Uh, but his lobbying reform is, is quite different, it seems, from Obama's, no? Yeah, there are two, two quick responses on lobbying. One is that he um, took the Obama lobbying ban, which I and others thought could be you know, it was a good start that could be strengthened, and he weakened it in several notable ways, made it um, a little less transparent, um, and narrowed some of the definitions. So he weakened the lobbying ban, but what he's also doing is the people identified in the ProPublica article, these Beachhead team members, mm-hmm. are not actually subject to his ethics uh, provisions such as they are. So he, these people are not at all governed by basically any laws. These people uh, have enormous conflicts of interest, and no one is uh, monitoring them whatsoever. So the problem is less his state of policy, which is bad but not awful, and more the fact that we're running government by people who are not subject to any rules. And this is uh, these are these beachhead teams uh, that uh, ProPublica r- reported on. Uh, essentially, just to understand, th- these are people who uh, the incoming administration comes in and, and basically assigns to the various agencies to figure things out, to work things out before there's any Senate confirmation, uh, any you know stated policies for budget or or anything else is that is that correct? Yeah, and insofar as the existence of a beachhead team is not in and of itself uh, a scandal, uh, there has been an effort, um, a couple of uh, reform bills to try to um, provide some resources to incoming administrations to start the process of taking over um, from the past and. Uh, the bigger problem is the caliber of people being uh, identified, mm-hmm. the lack of transparency. The fact is uh, that both ProPublica and the Revolving Door Project have enormous set of outstanding requests on finding out who these people, uh, the beachhead teams under Trump, are. Um, and uh, ProPublica hit the mother load on this uh, request. But in general, there's you shouldn't have to go through great lengths to find out who is being hired, and they should all be subject to very strict ethics rules, which they are not. And they also should be qualified people, which you know many of these people um, are not. So some of this is the implementation, not the existence. And then you also, as you mentioned at the outset, there's been very few people actually nominated under the Senate confirmation process which means that the people who have sort of real accountability who've gone through an Office of Government Ethics scrub, who've gone through the Senate process, the people who have some legitimacy if and when they're confirmed, they're not making, they're not starting their process. So these beachhead people are going to have autonomy and power for a long period of time, and those, they do not wield that power 
uh, legitimately because they're supposed to be answering to growing teams of Senate-confirmed people. So the longer that he takes right now to nominate people and then uh, ultimately the longer the, the Senate takes to confirm these people, in the meantime, you have these people that nobody really knows who are uh, running these agencies or at least have tremendous power at these agencies and... We don't. There's not even a requirement for the uh, for the for the administration to announce their names. We we actually have to go through public records requests to even find out who these people are. Yeah, I have 19 uh, Freedom of Information Act requests uh, outstanding. Uh, I, I made 19. I have received responses to two of them. Uh, so yeah, for 17 agencies, uh, I knew nothing until the, the ProPublica provided a partial answer on who the people uh-huh. were, but. This is a, a really, this is a situation that is a, has to be an intentional breeding ground for corruption, given what I know about the sort of people that are being hired and the uh, lack of disclosure. Let me focus for a moment on the, the lobbying issue here, the lobbyists who have been hired, because this was kind of amazing to me. A ProPublica finds uh, their count is some 36 lobbyists uh, leading these beachhead teams, but they say it's almost certainly an undercount since we only included those who formally registered as lobbyists, a process increasingly avoided by many in Washington. They, they Now, it seems like we saw something uh, similar l- late last week when disgraced former National Security Advisor uh, uh, Michael Flynn uh, announced that he was registering as a lobbyist for Turkey after he had reportedly received about half a million dollars to lobby on their behalf over the past year, but he didn't even bother to, he didn't register as a lobbyist, he didn't tell the Trump administration, supposedly. So uh, how does that work? Don't lobbyists, Jeff Hauser, have to register as lobbyists if they're going to perform the work of a lobbyist? The problem is that the definition of who is a lobbyist is wildly under-inclusive, um, you have to be spending more than, and this is shorthanding it, but you have to do, spend more than 20% of your time on lobbying activities, which is defined in the most narrow sense possible. Um, and so if you're spending a lot of your time talking to clients and just schmoozing with non-elected officials, you can very easily keep your time below 20% and not register. Mm. So many, many of the former members of Congress who go into law firms or go to Wall Street uh, and go to trade associations in order to uh, help clients influence public policy never register as lobbyists. And it's almost become a sign that you're not very successful if you have to spend so much of your time on the Hill that you end up registering uh, (laughs) as a lobbyist. Uh, and the sanctions for failing to uh, file as a lobbyist when you ought to have are so minimal and so rarely implemented that it's a lot easier and better to just never bother to register as a lobbyist and hope for the best. Wow. That's disturbing uh, in and of itself. Um, (laughs) ProPublica also reports that there are dozens of former uh, Trump campaign staffers and now a part of these beachhead teams, uh, one who just graduated from high school in 2015, now working in in these federal agencies. They quote uh, Seth Harris, who was on the first Obama transition team and later became a top Labor Department official, saying that it's not uncommon 
to bring in campaign staff to agencies as long as there are senior political people to direct the junior people. But, Jeff, uh, do we still have these senior political people on board at many of these agencies? I know that a lot of the Obama uh, people either left on their own accord or they have since been asked to leave. It, it raises concerns that these beachhead people, uh, these beachhead teams have even more power than uh, than they might have in, in previous administrations. Oh, that it is certainly the case that the beachhead staff have unprecedented power for people whose names have never been submitted to the Senate. Um, the State Department is a, a topic of particular concern to people I talk to in Washington. Uh, the senior strata of professionals at the State Department, we're not talking Obama political people, we're talking about people who've spent 10, 20, 30, 40 years in public service, in the Foreign Service, committed to the United States of America. They were uh, pushed out by the Trump people, and they only have nominated the Secretary of State, who has uh, subsequently been confirmed. Mm -hmm. That is the only nominee. So you've seen the Obama people all leave. You've seen the strata of the top professional career people pushed out. You've seen no names offered. So you have a complete vacuum at the uh, the top of the State Department beneath Secretary of State Tillerson, and the only people with any authority are the people who can claim to be acting on behalf of the president via their status on the beachhead. So it is a situation in which American diplomacy is being run by yeah, maybe some of them graduated from college, but we're talking about really some of the least qualified people to run American foreign policy, probably in history. That that's that's extraordinary, and uh, that more noise is not being made about it. I guess is also uh, extraordinary. So if you take that, these unqualified people running these agencies to a certain extent right now, and then add these uh, these cuts now that uh, Trump is talking about that I mentioned at, at the top of this segment. Here's my greatest concern, uh, Jeff Hauser, and I'd love to get your thoughts. With the the slashing of these federal budgets, uh, if they happen, that means further loss of staffers, further loss of institutional memory. Uh, we're already seeing that in a big way, as you say, at the State Department. Trump wants to cut about 37 percent of the State Department budget, as I understand it. All of this means, whether it's State Department or anywhere else, it seems to me that it means the government will now end up relying more, not less, on lobbyists and outside organizations for policy advice and legislation and and even contracting certain things rather than all of this being done in-house, seems like we end up filling up the swamp rather than draining it. Am I understanding this correctly or am I missing something here? Jeff Hauser, please say yes, I'm missing something. Unfortunately, I think the situation is even more perilous than that. I think if you look back at what happened in Flint when Rick Snyder uh, you know, said, I'm going to apply my business yep. uh, knowledge to government, and he uh, basically took over the city of Flint's management, and what they did is they, create, they created a water supply that was drenched in lead, like, that was a catastrophe. It's a moral tragedy what happened to Flint. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make it much better if that happens to the entire country. I don't think people want to eat E. coli-ridden food. I don't, like, the extent to which we, we rely 
on having professionals in the federal government to make sure that we know when a hurricane is coming, that we know that the food is safe to eat, that the water is safe to drink. Uh, I think the issues are really existential, and at some level, that I think people are underestimating what a government that seems to be, a federal government that seems to be more focused on enriching Donald Trump, his family, and his closest allies uh, could do to the lives of normal people. Is all of this uh, what you take? Uh, well, let me put it this way: What what do you take uh, from uh, Steve Bannon's uh, recent comments? I think he was at CPAC when he said that that uh, this administration and and his interests are in quote deconstruction of the administrative state. What what do you take that to mean? Uh, all of the above that we've been discussing here? Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> Steve Bannon uh, is well-educated enough to remember some 50-cent words, and he's using them to help distract us from the fact that the uh, government is basically, they view their effort to gain popularity is basically based in trying to build up uh, racism and take advantage of uh, resentment and use that so that no one pays attention to uh, how much money uh, all the, the Trump family and their close allies are going to be making. Uh, I think I don't think this is all ideological. I think this is kind of wrecking the country uh, for financial gain, and I think everything else is kind of in service of that broader goal. Mm. All right, I got just a minute or two left here, uh, Jeff Hauser. I know you've been tweeting about this uh, since this happened late on Friday, but uh, what do you make of this? Uh, before I let you go, what do you make of this? The sudden mass firing of all of the remaining U.S. attorneys by the Trump administration, including, curiously, the U.S. attorney serving southern New York and Manhattan, uh, uh, Preet Bharara, uh, who just happens to oversee the location of Trump Tower there in Manhattan. He had been told last November by Trump personally uh, that he wanted uh, Barrera to stay on, uh, to remain as a U.S. attorney in this administration. What what do you make of this uh, sudden and mass firing on Friday? Yeah, and I think it, the key is that it's sudden and mass, um, because um, over time, uh, revolving out uh, the previous appointees and putting in your own U.S. attorneys uh, is normal, uh, but as of Thursday afternoon, Jeff Sessions went on a conference call with the U.S. attorneys and, like, wished them all happy hunting in terms of for criminals and gave no signals to any of the 46 people that were to be fired the next day that they were about to be fired. And he, in fact, committed, he and the White House counsel had committed to senators that, in general, this was going to be an orderly process. And then it happened in the exact opposite of an orderly process. So what specifically the Trump administration is hiding, I do not, cannot say with any confidence. But the fact that this is opposite their specific commitments and is deeply disturbing and uh, merits significant additional investigation, I think that is clear. Toward what exactly the investigation will reveal, I'm not sure, but we need an investigation. Something seems to have happened in those yeah. hours. Uh, and one of the things that happened was Sean Hannity of Fox News came out and he said, oh, you, you must purge uh, the uh, the deep state, as he called it, of, uh, I guess, Obama staffers that he was charging had burrowed themselves in. But before I let you go, Jeff, uh, is there a real concern 
you know, with Obama staffers in federal agencies, as as uh, Team Trump has been claiming. And I'm asking because I know that uh, when Obama came to office, there was great concern among Democrats and progressives that, you know, George W. Bush had been there for eight years and that his people had sort of burrowed into federal agencies. That's something the Democrats have worried about uh, in the past. Is there any legitimate uh, concerns for an administration that, you know, they could be being undermined by enemies of the administration? Um, I mean, I think the short answer is no. I think that there could definitely be time. There definitely are some ways by which, and this goes back to Reagan and, you know, probably beyond, but there there definitely can be some people who uh, end up pushing getting privileged access to professional jobs um, rather than from moving from the political appointee world into the professional realm, but that happens very rarely. There have been a bunch of laws put in place that make it uh, a very rare process, uh, and basically the only scandal there would be uh, if someone was a little less qualified than normal and getting a uh, secure middle-class uh, salary, I, it's not at the level of, like, deep state conspiracy theorizing. Like, there's no legitimacy to see it as something existential or, like, a big scandal if it happens. And I'm not aware of it happening, but it's in general, it is either wildly overblown or entirely wrong. I can't imagine Sean Hannity uh, <laughs> wildly overblowing anything or being entirely wrong. Not my Sean Hannity. Uh, Jeff Hauser. Uh, Executive Director of the Revolving Door Project at the Nonprofit Center for Economic and Policy Research. Check out their work at CEPR.net. Uh, find them on the Twitters at CEPRDC. And, uh, and Jeff's personal uh, uh, Twitter account is uh, very entertaining as well. You can find him on the Twitters at Jeff Hauser. And uh, read ProPublica's article headlined, Meet the Hundreds of Officials the Trump Administration Has Quietly Installed Across the Government. Jeff Hauser, really appreciate you joining us uh, today. Hope you don't mind if we bother you again in the near future. <laughs> that would be great. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Jeff. All right, a quick break, and we're back with our uh, closing minutes here, running late as usual, thanks, CBO. Uh, all right, we'll, we'll, uh, well, we'll see what we got when we come back. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, good. Yeah. I feel better already. Thanks for playing that, Desi. <laughs> Uh, we try. Yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Once again, repeating our uh, breaking story today. The, uh, con- the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office has come out with its estimate for the cost 
in both dollars and uh, coverage, health insurance coverage uh, for Americans under the Republican plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. They find that in 2018, next year, 14 million more people would be uninsured under the Republican legislation than under current law, than under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. 14 million people next year alone. The number of uninsured people relative to the number under current law uh, who would be uninsured uh, rises to 21 million people in the year 2020 and then 24 million people in the year 2026. So a lot of Americans without insurance. On the other hand... It'll save the government $337 billion, according to the CBO. So uh, there's that and more, no doubt, on that in the future. Uh, but uh, the reason Desi was playing that uh, hillbilly music there uh, was a story I wanted to hit real quick. You know, we mentioned at the top of the show that the area's hardest hit by the um, Republican health care plan will be those that voted for Trump the most across the country. Trump voters are going to hurt a lot if this Republican health care plan is is uh, is passed. But you know where else they're hurting? Uh, the city of Branson, Missouri, my old home state. Uh, Branson, Missouri um, is feeling the squeeze right now from Donald Trump's immigration policies. If you don't know uh, Branson, of course, uh, the huge tourist destination uh, across the country, uh, not just for country music, but comedians and everything else go there uh, all summer. Well, it's a it's also a very, very right wing area of the state of Missouri. Branson went 78 percent for Donald Trump, just 18 percent for Hillary Clinton. Well, uh, so you'd think they would be, uh, you know, delighted with President Trump now in office. They're not so delighted. According to OzarksFirst.com, a change out of Washington, D.C. has businesses in Branson scrambling before the tourist season opens. An exemption in the H-2B visa program allowing temporary workers from other countries to come into the tourist destination could leave hundreds of jobs in Branson unfilled in 2017, many of which are vital to the city. There's a tremendous shorter, uh, shortage of workers in the area, according to Stephen Marshall uh, in charge of Chateau on the Lake. Uh, the Chateau, like many Branson businesses, relies on foreign workers to fill positions like service work, lawn care and housekeeping. He says this is going to be a huge problem. It's not just Chateau on the Lake that has the issue. It's many other places in town as well. He says, uh, I would tell you with a lot of confidence uh, that uh, let's say I get approval from the corporate office. Marshall says that we want to pay room attendants $15 an hour. He says there's people that just don't want to do that work. He says they just don't want to do that. And they've been putting out. Um, you know, job calls. They have to actually put out uh, calls for jobs before they fill them with uh, people who get H-2B visa exemptions. And they're not getting any Americans who want to fill these jobs. So they're going to people out of country, and uh, now those people out of country uh, are being denied the visas to come in under Donald Trump's new rule. Many of them probably don't want to come in. Um... And can you blame them? Disturbing. And another reason why uh, Trump voters will be delighted with what they got in President Trump. My thanks to uh, our producer, Desi Doyen. 
to my guest today, Jeff Hauser of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Been hearing from a lot of folks lately. Always good to hear from you. You can also find, follow, share us, and harass us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.